Hello, Beat Check listeners. I'm Gosia Wozniacka, and I'm the environmental justice reporter at The Oregonian. Today, I'm with Dr. Jillian Gregg. She's an ecologist and the principal investigator of Terrestrial Ecosystems Research Associates. It's a research group based in Corvallis that does experiments to determine the impacts of human-caused climate change. Dr. Gregg also teaches courses related to climate change at Oregon State University. And today, Dr. Gregg and I are going to talk about a new climate report, which was published at the end of October. Um, that report warns about the potential collapse of the Earth's natural and socio-economic system. Uh, that sounds pretty dire indeed. Uh, and if it makes you despair and immediately, immediately stop this podcast, I uh, want to guarantee that we're going to actually focus our conversation on solutions and, and on what we can do to slow the crisis. So let's get started. Welcome to the show, Dr. Greg. Thanks for taking the time to speak with me. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So for starters, um, let's just briefly talk about the study itself or the report. Um, how bad is the situation now, according to your research? What's new in 2023? Okay. So we have been tracking 35 different vital signs of the planet, and we have found that 20 are at their all-time record levels. This is a big concern for us uh, because of the massive step change in conditions that happened this year. Rather than a gradual linear change, there's been abrupt changes in many variables all at the same time. And these changes are far beyond mm -hmm. any that humanity has experienced. Got it. Can you give us some examples of the... Uh, yeah. So some of these um, I can't changed. go through all 20 in this uh, short time, yeah. but I'll just Maybe highlight a a, the top three. Is that we were, mm -hmm. we were first astonished by the North Atlantic sea surface temperature which reached a full degree Celsius above normal by May. So compared to air temperature, it takes far more energy to warm the ocean. And oceans were a full half a degree Celsius higher than any time in the last 30 years. So this rise in the ocean temperatures were followed by record-breaking Antarctic sea ice melt, which was twice the rate for July and August as for the past 30 years. Then those changes in the in the uh, ocean temperature and the ice melt then also led to global surface temperatures that started breaking records in June. So we've had 38 days with global average temperatures that were greater than a degree and a half Celsius threshold above pre-industrial levels. And that was, you know, that was by the time we had uh, submitted the paper for publication in mid-September. Uh, when our paper went to press. So until this year, this was a very, very rare occurrence. And I think, uh, you know, most of our listeners uh, can relate, especially to that last one, because that's something that we all feel uh, as the temperatures uh, go up higher every year and stay high for uh, more days than in previous years. Uh, so I think people are starting to understand that particular change. They may not see the you know, the sea level or the ice that's kind of a more removed, uh, but the temperature is something that we we all feel. Uh, your report uh, uses some pretty uh, 
stark vocabulary, um, you know, very strong language. Uh, it says life on the planet is imperiled. We're on the brink of collapse. It kind of feels like, you know, we're reading these headlines that we see often related to climate change. Uh, it's kind of alarmist uh, and alarming, very alarming to all of us, obviously. Was that a deliberate decision that you uh, as authors uh, made to use that kind of language and, and those phrases? Well, yeah, we don't see ourselves as alarmists at all. We, we're simply looking at the data and we've been looking at the data and reporting on it every year for years and mm -hmm. uh, five years now. And, and as we look at the data, we are alarmed. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. that's really the only way to express it is, you know, we were very concerned about these wide margins that many climate variables and very many records were broken. And so it's not just that the records were broken for a short period, but they continued through the summer and many even until now. And in this mm -hmm. cascading fashion where warmer oceans led to melting ice and both the warmer oceans and the melting ice then uh, lead to warmer air temperatures. And these all lead to more climate disasters, heat waves, floods, hurricanes, and fires. The can Canadian fires this year produced over a mm -hmm. gigaton of CO2, which was nearly twice the emissions from Canada from fossil fuels. So, mm -hmm. yeah, pretty bad. One of the issues I think when people, uh, you know, read uh, about uh, what's happening and predictions for the future is that, that that we're bombarded with headlines uh, in news stories, you know, or we read books and watch TV and they all are uh, telling us that our planet uh, and humans are in deep trouble. And many people are very, very anxious about uh, climate change. Uh, you know, it's starting to impact people's mental health. Uh, I guess why publish another report on dire climate predictions and 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 how do you as scientists who publish these studies year after year uh, how do you deal with this uh, issue of people being overtired uh, by the headlines and by the bad news? Well, we feel like our job as scientists is to look at the data and get the word out. So imagine mm -hmm. if you were a doctor and your patient has cancer, are you just not going to tell them? <laughs> so we feel that we're simply reporting mm -hmm. on the state of the climate and letting folks know uh, that we are moving into a climate system that humans have never experienced. And we are calling this uncharted territory. So at the same time, we realize that climate anxiety is very real. We first heard about climate anxiety with uh, Greta Thunberg, or it became very well known. She stopped speaking and eating because all she heard about climate change, yet she also didn't see any action underway. And she was just paralyzed. And mm -hmm. so it's really important to recognize that climate anxiety, it's actually a very realistic concern. So uh, it, it's, it's not just anxiety for no reason. I'd say it's quite realistic. And the best way to combat it or to combat climate anxiety is to find a way to take action. So, and that's what Greta herself has done. Got it.
Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about that, uh, the action. Uh, we promised to talk about solutions. Uh, what, uh, uh, according to your report, what steps are needed to improve the situation and get us out of this uh, dire position that we're in? Okay. Well, once we are all on the same page, which in general, I would say we are, that yes, the globe is warmer. Yes, human emitted greenhouse gases are causing the warming. And yes, warming is responsible mm -hmm. for the large tolls both economic and in the loss of human life to heat waves, hurricanes, fires. Um, you know, we even hear this on the, and, and when, when we begin to hear this on the news with the, these new real-time attribution studies coming from the Environmental Change Institute at Oxford University, um, and you can see them summarized by Carbon Brief, that if there's, they've, they've summarized 504 extreme weather events and found that 71% of them are due to um, uh, anthropogenic climate change. So, uh, mm -hmm. so, so once we're all on the same page that it's warmer, yeah. the greenhouse gases are causing the warmer, and it has these large tolls, the real question then that you're asking is what can we do? So mm -hmm. what we urge for in our report is transitioning to a global economy that prioritizes human well-being both now and in the future, and therefore mm -hmm. it stops overconsumption and excessive emissions. So mm -hmm. that's still a lot of big words. So specific recommendations yeah. that we recommend are eliminating fossil fuel subsidies. So subsidies are actions by governments that artificially lower the cost of energy production, so they ultimately lower the prices that we pay. So those are in mm -hmm. no way helping. The, uh, but subsidies roughly doubled between 2021 and 2022. They had been mm -hmm. already 531 billion, and now they're over a trillion dollars. So mm -hmm. uh, we believe that we need to adopt international coal elimination treaties and also fossil fuel non-proliferation treaties and these will be very important, but also we need to scale up the protection of forests and natural ecosystems because they all photosynthesize and photosynthesis is the main negative, negative feedback loop or um, dampening feedback that helps to take the CO2 out of the atmosphere. And we always mm -hmm. like, like to point out that all climate related actions must be grounded in equity and social justice. So extreme weather and other climate impacts disproportionately impact the poorest people and countries and have contrib mm -hmm. and those people have contributed the least to climate change. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I guess one of was follow-up question I have here is, uh, you know, when you talk about phasing out fossil fuels uh, or eliminating coal, um, sometimes people get really frustrated because they say, well, I live in Oregon, you know, we, we only use a tiny percentage of, of coal from out of state. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's China or it's India that uh, is using coal or, you know, in contributing to the problem and we can't do anything about that. So how, how do you answer that? Uh, you know, question of like, it's not in my backyard, I or even my immediate local government uh, can't do much? Uh, well, I would say that 
while we're not using much coal, we still are using natural gas. And all Oregonians need to, at home, as, as gas appliances uh, become defunct, everything needs to be electrified. We need to have the, uh, the heat pump heaters that work quite well in our state, heat pump hot water heaters. We need electric cars. If you can have solar panels on your house, which are now essentially free. I got solar panels back in 2016 and have not paid an electric bill since. And that is all paid off. So people, you know, I teach that stuff. And before I taught it, I hadn't bought it either. So all you really need to do is go and mm. look at the numbers to see how much money you can save right now by going, by electrifying your homes. And you can, um, there's a website called uh, rewireamerica.com. And that tells you how mm -hmm. to take advantage of all of the great benefits from the Inflation Reduction Act. And uh, fortunately, as even if you don't have solar panels on your home, as you as you make your whole home running on electric, Oregon itself is will eventually only be uh, uh, supplying renewable energy. So all of your electric will be coming from renewables in the future. So one of the uh, solutions that you include in your report is transitioning towards a plant-based diet. Uh, can you please talk a little bit more about uh, why you decided to include that? Yeah. Um, so cattle belch methane and they also eat, you know, much of our crop production, many of our crops are grown in order to feed the cattle. And then once they're grown to feed the cattle, they have to be transported to where the cattle are. Cattle also need pasture. So much of our destruction of tropical rainforests is due to slash and burn agriculture so that uh, pastures will be available for cattle to graze on. So when you combine all of these impacts together, um, uh, cattle and meat production in general come up to 15% of total CO2 emissions. You know, we've all been asking to reduce fossil fuels and uh, to electrify and to get off coal. And it seems like we're not making progress fast enough. That's what your report says, too. Uh, and it's unclear whether we did all those things, whether it would, in fact, uh, make enough of a difference uh, because the solutions that we are developing also have environmental costs. So it's not like, uh, you know, these things like electricity uh, is a perfect environmental solution because it also impacts our environment uh, in many ways. Uh, you know, our lithium batteries impact the environment. Uh, pretty much every, every solution has its drawbacks. And, and it, this makes me wonder, personally, as somebody who lives in the world, should I be doing a lot more? Uh, should I really be overhauling my life to, uh, to, to make a difference? And should everybody else be doing that too? Should we really ch radically change the way that we live and work uh, to, to help stop climate change? Uh, well, it would be fantastic if everyone felt like you did and we could do that, but that would be pretty far stretched to envision that the whole globe is going to do that. 
Um, so we, um, I think the, the bigger point is to take the steps that we personally can so that we feel good about ourselves and good that and we're not in the state of climate anxiety. And part of that mm-hmm. is a, a point that Johan Rockström made in his recent film on breaking boundaries. And he made this point uh, not too far from the end that whereas it can seem really overwhelming to get to 50% reduction of the fossil fuel production that we currently have by 2030, that, um, uh, that if you think about that, all you all we really need to do is reduce our emissions by seven and a half percent per year. And if we do seven and a half percent per year and compound that until 2030, we will be at the 50% reduction. And so I think in order to not get overwhelmed, uh, I like to think of that analogy, um, but it does still make the point that in order to get to the situation where it's 2029 and we still need to be at 50% reduction and we are caught in the headlights, we really do need to start now so that we can just be thinking it of as 7.5% per year. And that's the importance of starting now. Got it. Got it. And it makes it more more feasible and less scary to think about it that way. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to clarify, uh, you know, in my previous question is uh, by sort of uh, doing something different uh, with the way we live, you know, I mean, we're all still driving cars and whether we drive a gas powered car or an electric car, we will be driving cars. Uh, We're all still buying our lattes. We're all still, you know, buying containers, plastic containers. you know, even though we feel d- deeply about the climate crisis. And so that's sort of what I mean about, like, should we be pushing not just for electrification, but should we be pushing for uh, radically changing the way we shop, the way we live, you know, the way we buy, um, the way we use public transit uh, or not, uh, you know, because those things really do make a difference. Uh, I mean, yes, and, abs- and yeah, maybe, you know, some people are not going to want to, uh, you know, give up their plastic container or a coffee cup, but a lot of people would, I think, but I don't feel like we've made a push for that in that direction, uh, you know, to, to reduce consumption and your report does criticize excessive consumption. So can you talk a little bit more about that and how excessive consumption fits into this crisis and what we can do about it yeah. as you know individuals, really? Yeah, that certainly on an individual level, everyone can think about excessive consumption. I try to take my class every year to the landfill <laughs> because there's nothing like watching mm-hmm. for a half an hour every individual coming up with their pickup and then whole semi trucks all lined up to bring all the stuff to the landfill. And we need to be aware, not just when we're at the landfill viscerally watching it happen, but we need to transfer that to when we are at the store, that everything that we bring out of a store and put into our car and bring into our house, whether that's a hot tub 
or uh, furniture or clothing. It, at, it, depending on the timeline, all that stuff is going to end up in a landfill. So we really need to consider mm-hmm. buying less, using less, buying things for keeps, um, whether that's clothing. Uh, there's lots of nice videos on, you know, the, the T-shirt that was bought and worn once and what its life cycle was life like. And, and um, I have this one video of a woman in California where she has 16 clothing items. So whenever she has to pack, she just swoops them all into her bag. And, you know, she has all these different ways that she can wear various articles of clothing. And uh, her whole family is, is uh, a, a low, you know, low clothing uh, family, low, low clothing consumption family. But that's true of clothing, cars, vacations. Staycations are a great idea. It would be a great idea for a business to start if you're young. Uh, most states have beautiful, especially Oregon. Oh, my gosh. We can have wonderful vacations staying right here where we are. Also, food waste is one of the top four of the project or project drawdown and uh, anything we can do to waste less food is gonna have a huge impact and if you're looking for a way to make a difference in your community um, those are all all things that you can do to get involved and help with sustainability in your own community Mm-hmm. And in your own home. Yeah. yeah, thank you for those. I really appreciate those because I think those are things that we all can look at and uh, make a change uh, personally. Um, you know, we don't need international treaties to do that. Right. So, um, speaking of international treaties, though, and international cooperation, uh, the big next international conference, COP28, is going to take place in Dubai at the end of this month and early December. Uh, can you talk a little bit about this gathering? Um, they take place on a regular basis. What can we expect to happen there? Okay, so this um, COP28, that means the Conference of the Parties, and it's when the, Uni- mm-hmm. the, the United Nation holds this Conference of the Parties. They invite all nations of the world to come together to make decisions on what we should do about climate change. And it's an essential conference. It's been happening since the early 1990s. And in 2015 was the conference that came up with the Paris Agreement where all countries in the world have agreed to keep global temperatures to well below two degrees Celsius and hopefully below the 1.5 degrees Celsius threshold. So it's essential without these um, these Conference of the Parties meetings held by the United Nations, we wouldn't be able to get anywhere at all. So although all countries agreed that they would that they would like to hold temperatures to well below two degrees Celsius or 1.5 degrees Celsius, there were, each country made their own um, pledge for how they would go about doing that. And so at the, this particular conference that's coming up, the main goal is that every, every country has to come and say, well, this is what we pledged and this is what we did. So it's been, I think in 2016 is when the Paris Agreement went into effect because it took a while for everyone to agree. And so it's 
been, I guess, seven years since then. And that's the point is to take stock of the progress and, and, and the lack of progress and then make new commitments to mm-hmm. how we can do better, which countries did well, learn from the countries that did well, see how they did it and be able to uh, make new commitments going forward to what will be going, what, what commitments will be made in the future. So it's a very important meeting and uh, we're very lucky to have it in process. Do they put out a report or um, do they put out a report or have a website? There's a website uh, and you can learn about what's, yeah, it's more of a website. Yeah. The, the IPCC puts out reports every five years on the state of the science, but the Conference of the Parties mainly has a website. Got it. Um, I want to learn, uh, let me rephrase it again. I want to end on a more positive note. Uh, is there any good news? Uh, have we done anything right thus far? Um you know, something that takes us in the right direction as humanity? Yes, I would say of our 35 uh, variables that we've been looking at, there are five human action factors that are all-time beneficial levels. And those include Mm -hmm. that we already have more than 20% of the energy production is um, is already renewables. So governments worldwide have declared that they're going to have 100% renewable electricity between the different years between 2030 and 2050. And in 2022, mm-hmm. it was a record year with an 8% increase in renewable electricity ad- additions. And key policies were put mm-hmm. in place in the EU and in China and with the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, which... Again, I want everyone to go to rewireamerica.com and be able to save money in your home, own home by being uh, taking advantage of making money of, of the savings that you can get here in the U.S. Um, and I would like to also point out a, a review came out of the literature last year, and they found that 100% renewable energy is feasible worldwide at low cost. So I think that that's low-hanging fruit, and I'm very excited about that. Another factor, I'm going to have five here. So the second factor is institutional divestment. So there have been nearly 1,500 institutions with assets nearly uh, $40 that have committed to divesting from fossil fuels. So that has more than doubled since our last report when there were only $15 in assets that had been divested. So that is a huge leap forward. Um, our third factor is the greenhouse gases that are covered by a carbon price. So nearly 22% of all greenhouse of all CO2 emissions are covered by a carbon price. Now we need, of course, 100% of all of them, and it needs to be not just CO2 but all greenhouse gases. But the fact that 22% of CO2 is covered is awesome, and. Uh, Unfortunately, the price is still the average price across the globe on a emissions basis is still only twenty three dollars a ton, and it needs to be more like seventy five to one hundred dollars a ton to make a difference. And I'd like to call out Sweden and Switzerland as leaders where their CO two price is already over a hundred. Our third factor 
um, no, that was the third, was the greenhouse gases covered by a carbon price. Then um, the fertility rate or the births per women. So certainly population growth is important to consider. We, as we reached 8 billion people on the planet as of last November in 2022, we're expecting 9.7 billion by 2030 and 10.4 billion by 2050. So if you look over the past 50 years, births per women have halved. So we are moving in the right direction and we're at the current low of just under 2.3 births per women. So we need that number to get down to 2.1 in order to have a stable population. And we advocate for education and jobs for women, which is an example where diversity, equity, and, and inclusion could really help in solving the climate crisis. And the final positive factor that we're excited about is that there have been over 2,000 governments that cover a billion of the Earth's citizens that have declared a climate emergency. So this includes entire nations. It started with Scotland and Wales and the UK, Canada, all of the EU, Japan, 24 entire nations have declared a climate emergency. And uh, any change needs broad support. So it appears that widespread support is in place uh, for the energy transition. So those are, those are mm -hmm. my five, the five things that Absolutely. I think are going well. And I also, I also really like to remind people that over, you know, over the course of the history of the earth, a hundred billion people have lived and died over the history of humans on earth. And potentially mm -hmm. trillions of humans will someday exist and their fate depends on the choices we make today. So we have the enormous opportunity to make an immense difference for life on planet Earth. Well, thank you for that. Uh, I think we'll all be weighing that for a while. Uh, Dr. Greg, this has been a really important conversation. Uh, we'll be following this topic closely in future stories in the Oregonian and online at OregonLife.com. And I'm going to drop a few links uh, to some of the reports and videos that you mentioned in the show notes uh, of this podcast. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. If you like this show, please give us a five-star rating and review an Apple podcast that really helps people find the show. So spread the word best way to support our journalism and stories like this is with a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time. Thank you.